this is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to sessions from the media rumble 2018 thank you i believe we are competing with anurag kashyap so we value your presence really value it but anushri said when it's about money you'll get a crowd to to fill up quickly um revenue so we know strong revenues for a strong newsroom at least that's what i'm told and that's what i believe whether it's print tv or digital advertising has been the primary source of revenue so far but you know the pie seems to have many competing claims now and so the question we're asking which the organizers have already articulated is is there a post advertising media business model and how should media companies go about their revenue diversification plans so meet the panel you know their names i bet all of you know them well personally professionally there's a lot of collective wisdom on this panel and we hope to mine it effectively over the next 15 minutes we started 10 minutes late we're going to end 10 minutes late Rajiv Mayasetty he has a track record in creating rethinking and managing major 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 media organizations pretty much all across the globe currently he's at Columbia Journalism School as professor of professional practice and i'm sure we'll have a question on what that course involves and entails uh, before that he was ceo of gizmodo media group before that senior vice president of strategy at news corp managing editor of the wall street journal digital network managing editor of the washington post and closer home founder of the mint praveen gopal krishnan did i get anything wrong clearly i can't keep a job <laughs> I thought that too. <laughs> Pradeep Gopalakrishnan is head of products at the Ken. He's had 7 years focusing on front-end products on the web, on the mobile. Before the Ken, he was director of product at Inmobi and yes, he's been a journalist too. The Economic Times Scroll Mint. Anushri Goenka, Director of Operations at Scroll.in, heads revenue for the company, focusing right now on scaling up the reader subscription model, which is Scroll Plus. And I think we're going to have quite a conversation about the subscription model and how that could scale up. You also have years of strategy consulting experience under your belt. She was with Monitor Deloitte, what used to be the Monitor Group. Thank you all very much for being here. Thank you all very much for being in this room. Anurag Kashyap and all I'm Mandi Sinha Dillon I've had 20 years as a television business anchor and 6 months in the revenue function at NDTV so that explains why I'll be taking notes not asking questions um so let's get started and you know uh, I just wanted a quick show of hands uh vested interests digital print tv so let's go quickly digital please raise your hands TV please not bad primarily NDTV um and print and print and digital and all combos thereof okay so we are aligned to audience expectations um you know i had requested each of them to sort of um give their broad thoughts right up front sort of frame the context for the next 50 minutes and so it's a basic question and i'm going to give it to raju first which is you know is there a solid post advertising revenue business model out there for media companies we're going to tailor our quest answers perhaps on the digital front and then touch upon print and tv but you don't like to make those distinctions thank you uh, i'll actually push back on the topic a little bit i'm not sure why we are debating a post advertising world um 
simply because it means we are ignoring the largest source of revenue for our industry, for good, right? And, and I'll give you an example. So global ad revenues, ad spending, about 38% is on digital, about 34% is on television, newspapers are around nine, and then every other category uh, falls. And we all know that television money is going to move to digital in a big way. They're gonna face the same issues that newspapers faced because television as currently defined is changing pretty rapidly. Which means that a lot more money is gonna come into digital advertising uh, overall globally, including India, everywhere else. I agree that about 80% of that money is gonna to go to Facebook and Google and probably Amazon, which is why we are all thinking about alternate revenues. But my premise is that if the pie is getting so much bigger, as I all think we'll agree it will, because everything is gonna be digital sooner or later, by walking away from that pie, even though our share of that is small, we are actually giving up on what's the biggest revenue opportunity. So I'd be very careful of framing conversations around not having advertising as a source of revenue. We could argue that it doesn't have to be the biggest and there are all these challenges, but I think it's important to kind of keeping advertising in the mix of revenue because it is one of the largest. I mean, Ken will tell us why it doesn't work for them, which is fair enough. I think that's a uh, business model they've chosen to embrace, but as an industry, I don't think we should be thinking of advertising as a bad uh, source of revenue. So I'll leave it at that and we can come back to and, and for me, it would be, yeah. So, you know, why don't you just take Raju head on, which is um, you're setting advertising aside completely. Yeah. Why do you, you know, have conviction in that approach? It's never a good idea to take Raju head on, but uh, I'll tell you what my perspective is, and this is something that I articulated earlier as well. For all intents and purposes, I am an outsider into this industry from where I come from. Uh, I used to work at in Mumbai, which is one of the world's largest uh, ad networks. And over there, we saw that, yes, advertising is a significant part, and I tend to agree that it is going to be a significant part. But what we're generally seeing is that, as the pie grows, how much of that advertising revenue is being realized by publishers? And that is not growing. In fact, it's probably shrinking. So what's happening over time is that advertisers are becoming much more savvy Previously, they would just give you something and they'd say, this is a brand awareness, just show it and come back to me. Now they're starting to ask hard questions of, who is seeing this really? Are they interacting with it? Are they clicking it? Are they male? Are they female? What are their income groups? And these are the answers that traditional media outlets don't have today. They just don't. And the ones who have the answers are the ones who are making money off it. So you can spend time as a media outlet and integrate that. You can integrate with DMP, you can integrate with attribution, you can do the hard work, and that is where the money goes away. So you see a lower and lower share of the ad money itself. Plus, coupled with the fact that ad advertisers are not moving digital in India as rapidly as they should, and your supply, for the lack of a better word, is moving faster than this. So you are basically seeing like a conflict there. So I tend to agree that advertising is not dead, I wouldn't say that, but I would say that 
it's a race against time and you have advertisers who are not moving fast enough you have publishers who are not seeing that revenue and you have users and this is the most important part who are increasingly getting alienated from both sides okay anushree how are you shaping your priorities and how are you framing this uh, subject today yeah so i think i agree with uh, raju and praveen that advertising is important advertising will stay uh, i think uh, there is uh, uncertainty about how much we'll continue to lose to google and facebook uh, and we probably need to be prepared not for the next two years but think of what we are going to be in the next 10 years and uh, i think uh, I i'll focus a little bit on reader revenue uh, because that's what scroll is also doing now uh, one of the reasons for uh, sort of building reader revenue or not having advertising as the sole revenue stream is that if that is your only revenue stream sometimes it's at a conflict to reader interest either in terms of just density of ads or your experience of uh, how cluttered the environment looks or how interruptive it is or uh, like you're talking about what google and facebook have which publishers don't have is data do you want to capture more data uh, those are choices uh, organizations will make for themselves uh, we feel that uh, we don't want to uh, we will still do advertising we still do uh, different types of advertising uh, somewhere a publisher has a advantage over an ad network or google or facebook so if you're doing beautiful uh, storytelling for a brand uh, that is not something that google or facebook can do so you can find those niches uh, also do some things that compete with google and facebook but also build uh, other revenue streams which uh, which support you so that you don't have to ever take decisions that uh, make your readers suffer or make their experience you know uh, less enjoyable Okay you know I'm sorry for being slightly military in my approach but I'm just going to you've touched upon a bunch of things but I just want to Raju has a slide and we'll pull that up and we've agreed that advertising is going to be an important source of revenue and that point has been made forcefully but there are many alternatives that exist and hopefully that slide covers some TV alternatives as well Raju yeah uh, i just want to talk a little bit about multiple streams of revenue and just approaching revenue um, in that way rather than thinking about it as a uh, you know advertising and subscriptions as the only uh, alternatives can somebody put up the chart so here is here's like a larger point i want to make and then talk a little bit more about specifics right our industry if you step back was always dependent on at least two sources of revenue which was readers circulation and subscribing to newspapers and advertising that was the model we've had for like 100 some years and then when digital came for some reason a majority of us thought that we should go to one source of revenue we don't have to worry about kind of reader revenue anymore and most media companies went on the web and started giving it away for free and only depending on advertising so we caused this problem by walking away from a model that we knew was working which is two sources of revenue and i'm glad that in large parts of the world we are going back to reader revenue which is essentially going back to a model that we've had for about 150 years right it's great but i think each one has its as we talked about advertising has its limitations and reader revenue conceptually i think is interesting and good but those of us who've been doing this for a while so i was at the wall street journal we never gave content away so we've been charging for our website for probably about 18 years now right and then the financial times began about 10 12 years ago and then the new york times followed and today 70 80% of the us newspapers have some kind of a subscription model but about 
almost two decades of data is showing us that less than, well, less than 10% of your visitors seem to be wanting to pay for your product, right? The most successful paywalls or subscription models have maybe six, seven, eight percent of your total visitors willing to pay. There seems to be a cap, right? After that, it's becoming very, very hard to get those subscribers. So if we all thought that the answer to our industry's challenges was just getting subscribers, we already know the answer, that that's not going to solve it. But if you think like that's an additional source of revenue and a steady source of revenue, and I think that makes sense. So if you extrapolate that, my increasing belief is that most media companies, without changing who they are, have about 12 to 15 different ways of making money, and I have a whole bunch of them up here. As you can see, I've, advertising itself is broken up into at least three or four different uh, ways of making money, display, programmatic, video, and then your custom. But beyond that, I think there's a lot of opportunities, obviously subscriptions we've talked about, but everything else you see on the list to me, is a source of revenue if you're smart about it and it fits into your product, if it fits into your, and you have the capabilities, right? I think one of the things to think about is all of these require investments, and all of these have, there's no virgin field for you to go and take 100% of the revenue. Each one of these has challenges. But every one of these, in some way or the other, has a source of revenue. So if you can put together between five and seven and eight and nine of these, each of them will be stressed for a different reason at a different time. Your advertising is always stressed because, as we talked about, Facebook and Google dominated. But when I was running Gizmodo Media Group, if 100 was my revenue, 19 was my display advertising, another 20 was my programmatic, video I didn't have a lot of capacity, so video was 10. So 50% of my revenue came from those three. And then the other 50% was actually split between my native advertising was about half of that, and then I had an e-commerce business, which was 25% of my overall revenue. So with five revenue streams, without subscriptions, without a P&L-led events business, without memberships, last year we grew our top line by 16%, which may not seem a lot in this day and age, but it's a lot if you're in the Western running a media company. But I did that because my advertising business only grew 2%, but my commerce business grew 35%. So I think the ability to balance and juggle revenue streams can help us build a sustainable model rather than think in a very binary terms of just advertising or subscriptions because each of those, as we've talked about, has significant limits to growth. Yeah, but you also have to reflect very carefully on which of those alternative business, I mean, revenue um, options have synergy with your own strengths. Or what is it going to take to actually be capable of generating those additional revenue options. And, and I don't think that there are any straight and easy answers on that front. But, uh, you know, Praveen, you first. I mean, you've got to be careful. There are just two, three points. I mean, yeah. I broadly tend to agree. I tend to agree that a mix is obviously much better than, diversification is better than keeping it to one thing. The two nuances that we have seen, again, this is just quite new, is that a conversion rate of subscriptions, as you say, like if 1,000 people or 100 people visit a particular website, maybe like 4 or 5% are willing to pay. This is not very unusual if you compare it with other industries. This is not unusual if you compare it to, say, e-commerce. In e-commerce, I used to work in an e-commerce company, and if you had a conversion rate of 2 to 3%, that was a great day. We had parties that day. 
So this is not terribly unusual, number one. Second, it's a little, um, you're being a little careful about taking lessons from the past and saying that, yes, I do agree that FT took this much time, Wall Street Journal took this much time, New York Times just took this much time. But to extrapolate that and to say that it's probably going to be a long, hard grind for a significant time may not be necessarily true. I mean, why do you say that? Um, okay, so let's take it an example. So let's say hypothetically, uh, a pre, I mean, I'll take another industry, for instance. Let's take a pre-Netflix world. If you had a subscription service for taking movies before Netflix came along, I'm sure you would have tried for like 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and you may not have succeeded. You may have done that for, say, an e-commerce company. You may have done that for... Subscription services on the digital world is not terribly new. People have tried that. There's just reason to believe that now, again, nuances on what kind of subscription you're trying to do, there's reason to believe that it's taking off. A very simple example in India, a very simple example is the success of Hotstar. Hotstar just blows all of these theories out of the water. And yes, you can argue and you can say that it is because of the IPL, it is because of exclusive content, it's because of limited content. All that is true. But the numbers speak for itself. If you do that, it may work. So if Ajit Mohan or Uday Shankar were here, and if they were willing to kind of speak the truth, they will admit that the majority of Hotstar's investment came from Star's television network. And the majority of Star's investments into TV and cricket and everything else came because they were part of 21st Century Fox, right? And so 21st Century Fox has 10 different revenue streams. That allowed them to invest in Star. That allowed Star to invest in Hotstar. I don't think Hotstar makes money even now. So that's what, I, what I'm trying to say is I think building sustainable businesses takes time. And to invest in like new revenue opportunities, you might want to think about having multiple sources of revenue. I am a huge fan of the Ken. People who worked for me at Mint started it, so I, I'm, I tweet about it all the time. Here's my concern. If somebody provides the same journalism, the high quality journalism, and says, I'll give you five stories a day, Ken gives you one for the same price, the model is no longer defensible. It may still work for the can, but somebody else might. That's what I'm trying to say, that you need to have s a multiple ways of like defending your business. And multiple sources of revenue is a better way to defend it than one or two is just my larger point. I think scroll is a good example of, I think they have, I can think of at least four, but you should talk. <laughs> And four, which are sort of linked or fall under the advertising umbrella or non-advertising as well? Uh, no, I'd say two under the advertising. Uh, one is custom advertising, like I was talking about, where you're uh, sort of crafting stories. Uh, many of them are in visual format. Many of them are in written format. But it's deeper communication, which uh, no other platform would do for you. Only a publisher could do. Uh, I, th I think that's a great revenue stream. It's uh, obviously you have to work very hard to retain the quality. A lot of advertisers will push down the quality of the work you want to do for them. Uh, but uh, that uh, has a much lower pricing pressure because you're, what you're doing is distinctive. Uh, we have started programmatic uh, advertising as well. Uh, we didn't do it for the longest time, but now I think we're at a scale where uh, we don't need to uh, leak revenue, right? Like when you say that 95% people uh, don't want to pay or are uh, occasional readers, uh, it's, it's good for a company to try and make some money from it, because you are providing some value, might as well uh, also be able to monetize that. Uh, 
the third is subscription, which we've uh, recently launched. Uh, it's too early to say uh, whether it's successful or not. I think we are uh, we are learning with everything. We are learning some of the things that the e-com industry has learned, like you know, the, uh, from uh, intent to pay or uh, desire to sort of start the process. There's a 99% drop off from uh, to converted subscribers. This is people who want to pay. Then the other problem to solve is uh, communicating uh, the value. Why should you pay? Or building the <coughs> building the value in the offering. Uh, so uh, too early to say how it's going, but I think uh, we're learning and iterating. And I think we'll keep iterating for a while on that. Uh, the fourth revenue stream, uh, I, I won't say it's. Uh, it, it's not really scroll as such, but uh, sc the scroll company is also uh, does some B2B services. So Quartz, uh, which is the erstwhile Atlantic Media publication, Quartz in India is uh, is scroll, right? So it, it's a B2B sort of services agreement or whatever. Uh, but that is that provides us uh, some stable revenue. Uh, it's it's not uh, monetizing the scroll platform or the scroll traffic really though. I, you know, I think the point that you'd made offline, Anushree, was just how scalable all of these other options are and what is the investment required to actually even scale in that and does that dilute from some other purpose? And I do want uh, both Raju and you to engage on some of uh, those issues. Why don't you go first? Yeah, so uh, for scaling, uh, I think the couple of revenue streams that come to my mind where I feel scale is tough. Uh, you could do a few, you could do well, but say events is one, right? A lot of uh, uh, companies in the US uh, do events really well. Uh, it's a significant part of their revenue. Uh, I've found it challenging to think about it that is this event uh, capitalizing on the strengths we have? It's not monetizing, our, we are digital only. It's not monetizing our digital traffic, except for advertising the event. Uh, to some extent, uh, it could sort of uh, ride on the strength of the, the people we have in our editorial teams. Uh, but overall, it's a very high cost initiative. Uh, and it, it cannot scale too much without you actually putting in an engine to run that. Right? So it, is it monetizing your existing uh, organization or your existing strengths? That's one. I think newsletters. Uh, is the other one where I feel like uh, scaling it as revenue may be a challenge which also is similar to the subscription revenue. Your newsletters are being paid for by readers. Uh, is that uh, what do you see uh, in the West or what do you think about it in India? Yeah, I think events is deceptively non-scalable right? because for the simple reason that let's take Media Rumble. I heard in the morning opening session they said we'll try to take it to other cities. Conceptually is great. But every media rumble they do in every city is bespoke, even if the template is the same, right? You have to do, everything has to be done from the scratch and it finishes by the end of the event. And you repeat that in another city, the only thing you have going is a template, right? So in that sense, I absolutely agree. I think it's not scalable. And you're also running up against the calendar because there are only so many working days or weekends and there are 15 others doing events and your target audience is being asked to attend a bunch of things. But the way to think about events is really around a couple of ways, right? One is if you can do one or two events that are very unique to your brand and your journalism, it does two things. One is it's, it reinforces the brand. It creates content often for the brand itself, right? I mean, if you repurpose it, and if you use your same journalistic abilities to curate and engage people that relate to your brand, I can again think of the, one of the strengths of Ken would be that it has the ability to get people in the venture 
and investment ecosystem to talk to them because they're seen as, if Seema goes and interviews somebody, people realize that she comes prepared and they're willing to kind of have that good conversation with her. And if they ask that person to show up at an event, right, they'll do it. So I think the ability to reinforce and build on your journalism and your brand, I think, is there. But again, I go back to my original point, which is that none of these is going to solve our problems by themselves. But having an event, in addition to having a subscription, in addition to having uh, some other source of revenue, is better than not having it, is my point. And sure, I mean, do some of these require investments? Absolutely. But sometimes, if you build a platform like Scroll on which your own brand is running, the ability to perhaps license that or use somebody else who wants to come to India but doesn't want to invest in a platform means that you get a steady source of revenue. I think that's the way to creatively think about leveraging things. The New York Times today publishes 70 newsletters a day. Right? The advertising on the newsletters, which is based on content on the web or else or in print, which has ads there, is different, meaning somebody else can sponsor just that newsletter, right? Which is a, now adds a revenue stream to journalism that you've already paid for and somebody else has bought against in other platforms. I think that's the way to think about it. You know, Praveena, I, I think you were going to cover the same ground, but through a different lens, because you said, look, look at some of these you know, different business models and check on whether there's an alignment between the advertiser, publisher, and user. And when you, what you've experienced on that front, just share those thoughts with us. I mean, just, you know, we're addressing the same subject, but we're saying look, look at it from an alignment perspective. Um, there is one reason why I'm biased over here and I'm over-indexing on subscriptions as opposed to everything else. I completely agree. These are all great sources of revenue. But the reason why I'm at the can, why we're over-indexing on subscriptions is because there's a fundamental belief that and this comes from uh, my experience personally in product and technology, that once you sort out the loop between the product and the publisher and the user, great things will happen, and you can figure out a way to scale. I mean, that's just the bias that we come through. So for instance, if you look at the Ken, one of the things that we do is we do one story a day. And I take Raju's point that somebody else can come and do five. But sometimes it's harder to do one than it is to do five. And when we do one, people have a certain limited amount of time in a day. And all they do is they just read that one story. That story is sent at a certain time of the day. We send it at 8 or 5 in the morning. There is an email that goes out and says, this is the story of the day. An average person takes 20 minutes to read that story, and he's done. And that is important. If that email went out five minutes later, I get emails from customers saying, where is this email? We are expecting this email. We are sitting at the coffee, we are sitting at the table, and we are waiting for this email to come. So then what happens is, once you start writing those stories, and then they read the stories, you get emails back. And that is because they are subscribers. So they write back saying, you got all of this right, but here is one nuance that you missed. And the reporter is able to reach to that person and say, OK, tell me more about that nuance. So this entire cycle of reporters having contacts and having contacts that really know what they're talking about, and then fuels the next story that is much more nuanced, that's much more valuable. So the goal is to keep driving value to your set of subscribers. And we have no conflict there. It's a closed, complete loop that we do well at the Ken. And our belief is that, our belief is that if you do this well and we lock this down, we'll figure out a way to make it scale. Anushri, you know, the proposition is slightly different mm -hmm. at Scroll. So in that case, there's the 
whole bunch of things that you know i'm sure you're asking yourself when you're looking at the whole subscription approach which is the cost of acquiring those subscribers what is the average revenue what is the retention um and what is emerging on that front i know it's early days right now at uh, scroll uh, i think uh, what's uh, definitely emerging is that uh, you need to think like a product company also right so uh, I think Scroll has a uh, pretty good tech in terms of serving up stories, uh, but the thinking on uh, anything that uh, comes to transactions or uh, you know it's not a one-way communication. You expect someone to take action. I think there's a lot for us to learn on that front. Uh, whether it is, do people understand your message? Uh, I think. Uh, We've had enough uh, and more uh, sort of questions about, uh, I'm not sure what the subscription gives me. So whether it's about uh, sort of articulating differently to drive action. Uh, some of these things, uh, at least at Scroll, we feel we've not done before. And uh, even like drop, uh, arresting drop-offs from intent to pay to actual payment. Uh, then there is a uh, sort of a customer relationship management arm which uh, we need to build. So there are, there are a bunch of things which we are learning which uh, we didn't do earlier in our life uh, as media publishers. Sorry, am I losing track of the question? No, I mean, yeah. I, you know, I just wanted you to share your experiences on some of those fronts. Yeah. And it boils down to the larger issue of the subscriber route. What are some of the challenges that you're encountering right. as you're scaling yeah. up? Raju, uh, wanted to get in there? Yeah, I think the point that this brings up and which is a larger point that all of us have kind of brought up but without being explicit about is the biggest change is that newsrooms and news organizations are having to pay attention to their audience. We paid lip service to that in the print era, right? Because we assume that our circulation equals readership that equals their reading the entire paper. We had no data, we just assumed that and we were happy. Now we, whether we like it or not, we have data and these audiences, especially if you do memberships or subscriptions, are very demanding, actually, in their feedback for the product or in their expectation of customer service. It's forcing our industry to actually really finally pay attention to audiences, which we should have been doing for a long time. So it's a very healthy phenomena. A lot of newsrooms um, are mentally not prepared to kind of do that because our industry was built on a bunch of people walking into a room and deciding what you should read on the front page tomorrow. Right? Yeah. So that's a big change, and all of these have implications for how your newsroom needs to start embracing some of these, especially if they want to, for somebody to pay for their good journalism. Um, you know, I'm, maybe I'm being selfish here, but I'm just wanting you all to, Raju, you to focus a little bit of attention on the television piece here and some of the strengths, uh, opportunities. Uh, and I, you know, I got into this job six months ago, so I'm trying to get tutorials. Right. So, can I ask you a question about TV then? I don't know how honestly I can answer because, like I said, I'm learning how to right. navigate so, the job. Right. So, since you are the kind of the expert here on TV, so I guess my my question really is around the idea of television as we thought of it, like a thing on the wall, and we would watch something in a f appointment viewing, is really starting to change pretty dramatically. So from inside a TV company, looking at some of these, for example, what are things that are being done differently? I'm the moderator. <laughs> okay, I mean, so we've been doing events. We've been doing them for a while. 
we do campaigns where the alignment between the corporate partner, the content team, and um, the social cause has been structured differently from how the newsroom approached, or how you approach sponsorship for news shows. So that's been there as a revenue stream, and it's been a steady growing one for a decade. Competition is increasing in that. So I think the point about generally just a lot of competition in these alternate revenue streams is something that we all are conscious of. Um, there's also inherent strengths and you know holding on to those and investing in new ones. So did I say two? Yeah, I said events and I said, for example, social campaigns we've been working on. There's a lot of, um, I mean, we have NDTV.com. So, you know, video and uh, um, reports, et cetera, on NDTV.com. But I'm thinking purely from the broadcast, the TV piece of it. We, uh, we are, and I, I don't think I should talk about it yet. There's no official announcement. But there's something, you know, we're looking at new platforms for delivering the same content. Um, so there's this whole idea, right? Melkos? telecom and media, and I just wanted to touch upon how it's playing out in the US and what's happening in India, and um, is there something there for everyone in the room to think about? Yeah, I can't really answer the India question other than very generically, which is that I think somebody like Airtel um, has always wanted to partner with media companies to offer channels. Uh, on their phone, the chances, the problem with those tend to be discovery, right? Meaning that the more you add, the harder it is to for somebody to look through. And then the data usage and all of those issues. Samsung has been very successful in creating a lot of like stickiness for its physical phone by offering kind of certain kinds of brands as part of the bundled in. In the US, what we are seeing is big telecom companies are actually buying big media companies. AT&T just bought CNN, which means that AT&T now has HBO. So f to get HBO on cable in, uh, in the US, you have to pay like almost $10, $12 more per month. AT&T could very easily bundle that as part of their internet and f like cable, all of that, and say, look, as part of your phone bill, we'll add a dollar and you'll, you can like get it, all of a sudden, all the energy that HBO has put in, or individual brands have put in, in building subscription paywalls and saying subscribe to my unique single product, could really get upended very quickly. Right? So I think that's the danger of like these big telecom companies starting. I can see if the telecom companies ever get their act together, your geo owning Network 18 gives them a significant clout in terms of what they can do with it if they can figure out the internal data and technology and all of that. But imagine Geo saying for, for like a buck, we'll give you CNBC and a bunch of things very uniquely. All of a sudden, their paid audience like, can significantly go up. So I think sometimes our industry tends to be very narrowly focused on how to fine tune my own paywall, while big trends could come and really append that. I mean, have, what are you noting, uh, Praveen, just in terms of global trends that maybe India is not paying enough attention to, um, something that you've got out there on your radar? Mm, okay, so two, three things. I think there was generally a very strong perception that subscription-based services may not work in India because people won't pay for it. Mm. And I'm here to say that's not true. 
Um, I think the nuance though is that as long as you're able to create value and you're able to create value in a way that is relevant with an audience that understands it, appreciates it, and hence is willing to pay for it, yes, it can work. Um, for instance, one of the things that I really credit the founders of the Ken is I think they really figured out the right gap in the market. I think for a long time, technology reporting, at least in India, was abysmal. And I was in the technology industry, and I can say that. I cannot tell you how much I used to cringe reading about how journalists used to write about technology. And I think there was a strong market for people who said that we will value this if you do it right. Even if you don't write good things about us, that's OK. We will value that. And I think that has happened. Uh, or at least it's happening. I shouldn't say it's happened yet. It's happening. So that is one thing that um, was a global trend. It wasn't very far off. You had individuals. Uh, you had Ben Thompson was running Stratechery. He was a one-man operation running a newsletter, which was again focused on the tech industry. And he was sitting in Taiwan and covering about Silicon Valley. And people paid. Uh, you had the information, which is slightly different, but much bigger. And I'm sure Raju knows more about that. Um, you had a few other outlets that believe that if you keep it focused, and you keep it on a narrow vertical, and if you deliver value, and if you are talking about stuff that they care about, and you know what you're talking about, they will pay for it. And I think that is something that we are figuring out, at least right now. I apologize for keep for sliding back to TV all the time, but I'm just wondering if that one story a day works for you at the Ken, and there's such a noisy, cluttered kind of TV news approach right now, maybe that one story a day through the day, 24 hours. Does that sound right at all? I don't know. Every time I watch Indian TV, it feels like they repeat the same story over and over again. <laughs> Every channel. So I'm not sure that's a good way to make money. <laughs> I now have to drink some water on behalf of the television industry. But, but I'll say one thing that... Um, I think you, you spoke about global trends that haven't seen in India. So I think there's one global trend which hasn't come in India yet. But I think there is potential. So it's free advice for everybody over here. One of the things that works to some extent in certain places is there is a very strong fanatical following among sports teams. So if somebody can come up with a subscription product for sports, for specific teams or specific games, for instance, if you have a loyal fan base, it might work. That's not there in India yet, by the way. It's coming? Well, uh, Disney just bought Star, which means they have ESPN and uh, all of cricket and all bunch of other sports. So I, I can kind of relatively easily see them thinking it up like offering sports streams that are paid for. And, um, you know, newspapers, and I know that this is not like we're not supposed to approach this as one or the other, and there are combinations, um, whether it's print plus digital, uh, but um, Anushri, and maybe this is an unfair question to put to you, but, um, you know, when you look at, and in a sense, they're your rivals, right? I mean, people are buying newspapers and reading them, and you're competing for that same mind space. But when you think about print, and what it could do differently on its digital platforms versus a digital-only platform? What are some of the things you take note of? Um, 
So I think one thing uh, which I think Rajiv also mentioned somewhere in his list is uh, books, right? Offline content or things like that. Uh, I, I've thought of it and sort of struggled with it sometimes that, uh, say, Scroll has done uh, lots of reporting and lots of themes and uh, things. Uh, wouldn't people like to have a collection of this? Or wouldn't you want to sometimes read certain types of stories at leisure and not on your phone? Or I think print has that uh, great... Um, experience of reading. I, I always prefer to read a book in print rather than an e-book. Um, so I think what print definitely can do, uh, I don't know if they've tried, it has worked, it has not worked, is uh, sort of some collections or uh, you can own some areas. So uh, maybe a different example, uh, but digital having done something like that is BuzzFeed Tasty, the cookbook that they launched. Uh, that's a sort of much talked about example because it was wildly successful. but uh, I, I don't know too many digital-only publishers who've tried to do that because it's so different from the model. I think it'll be easier for print to do uh, editorial products that are... I mean, like, you know, the Caravan Book of Profiles, and it's nice to just buy that book and right. just read all of the profiles that they've done in depth over right. the years of, you know, um, prominent people from yeah. different... Um, Genres. Okay, um, I get the sense that I'm drifting a little bit here, but I know that we've also got about 10-15 minutes for questions. Before I um, go to prescriptions, because I'm going to ask you for prescriptions here. Okay, I'm from television and we like prescriptions at the end of the show. Um, before we do that, we'll take some uh, audience questions. Uh, quick introduction, quick questions that we can get more time for the answers. Hi, my name is Vidur, and uh, I recently started a podcasting company. Uh, I just wanted to uh, throw it to all of you and uh, just bring up the fact that I, I don't think we've spoken from the consumer perspective. Like, what does the consumer really want? And I mean, maybe you could even conduct a poll and see how many people really want ads, you know? Uh, where is that feedback loop? Are we actually thinking from a first principle basis of what we want content to be? Because traditionally, the model was you want to watch this, watch something you probably don't want to watch. Uh, and how does that affect uh, the actual content itself? Obviously, the can can speak to this, but doesn't subscription uh, model and stable revenue and a very direct feedback loop enable better content that people want? Uh, maybe premium content like HBO or customized content like the can. I, 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 maybe it's because I spent so many years at the Wall Street Journal that I don't see a tension in providing the same audience that we provide a very quality business publication also very high quality advertising because these audiences are big decision makers. They buy a lot of products and services. So I think the problem became the user experience issue, right? Where like these site takeovers and having to force you to go through five ads before you, just like any Indian newspaper, there's like three pages of ads on the front page before you get to a page, right? Especially around Diwali. So you're actually hurting by creating this kind of notion that advertising is annoying and it's interfering with the reason I'm buying this product. So I think good ad experiences, actually there's a lot of data to suggest that people actually consume them as much as they consume content. So I think that's the balance that needs to be struck. I'm a big believer in saying that if a large part of my, at the Wall Street Journal we started like five different verticals. There's a, something called the CMO Journal for market, because we had a lot of CMOs reading. That is brought to you by Adobe, and there's a lot of like relevant advertising in that. But we know that CMOs want to see that advertising. So I think that mix and match is uh, not a bad idea. 
I go back to my original point, which is I actually think it's pretty dangerous to teach our audiences that there'll be an ad-free subscription experience simply if you are offering a bunch of options, simply because you're walking away from one of the largest sources of revenue. The idea that humankind will not have advertising as a very primary way of buying products, I just don't buy that thing that that's ever going to change. So I'm like, why am I walking away from a place where I know 80% of ad dollars are going to be spent? I want a share of it. It's a smaller share, but if I am good, if, if Scroll can create a very compelling native advertising model, they'll continue to get that revenue. They may not scale that pretty high. So I, again, I think we have different views on this. Uh, it's a matter of like how you think of your growth and your opportunity and whether you want to focus on one thing or you know, two things or five things. I think we're going to ask both of you these questions every year. Yeah. And then we'll see how the answers have evolved as well. Uh, no, I actually, I mean, so I actually agree more with Raju than it appears right now. Uh, no, the thing is this, it's just my, my personal perspective. I spent five years building advertising products. Okay, so that's where I come from. And I can just say, yes, it's true that advertising, there is this golden triangle of sorts where you say that there is going to be an ad that's going to be extremely valuable for the advertiser that the consumer can experience beautifully. It's a great ad experience. And it does not compromise with what the publisher wants. Yes, I mean, sure, it could exist. There's no doubt about that. But I think that the people who are in power of making those decisions, typically, it may be very different in the US, typically, are the people who, you know, for ad networks, like even for a Google, even for a Facebook, etc., publishers are just cells in an Excel column. You know, they do not understand the things that publishers come up with. So if you're a publisher and you have really strong feelings about this is what my editorial policy is like, this is what I believe, this is, for them, it's just, you know, whether you have a certain CPM, you have a certain CPI, what's your click-through rate, et cetera, et cetera, and that determines success, et cetera. Of course, there are experience and all that. From the Ken standpoint, it is just that we believe that the subscription model is what provides the maximum value to our readers. It's just as simple as that. Um, it's not to say that advertising model does not work. It's not to say that it's not a viable model. But this is the model that we've seen gives value to subscribers and more importantly gives value to us in the editorial side because of the direct feedback that we get. Because of that, the next story that we write is a much sharper story. It's a much better story. And hence, I said this before about the loop. And I'm just a big believer in that. And I think wherever that loop exists, we just try to double down on it. That's essentially from my standpoint. OK, we have another question here. And I'm going to try and you know, do this fairly. But I have so many questions. Uh, my name is Anim. I'm from Africa Czech and based in South Africa. Um, what was interesting for me from your slide, Raju, is that government was missing. Um, and actually the dean from Columbia uh, Law School has analyzed how the press has been subsidized by government through mandatory um, you know, notices and postal service. And in France, they're um, subsidizing um, students to um, get newspapers prescriptions. Uh, so my question for you is, um, do you see lobbying of government as a, as a possible source of um, revenue in future? And then for um, Praveena Nanushri, um, capacity, um, how do you track the best and the brightest who can, um, you know, um, carry out those ideas and those good ideas like safe events or the coders that Maria is looking for? Um, yeah, how, do, how does media become, like, um, attractive to, to really smart people? Or how do you make it attractive to those people? 
Yeah, so um, I didn't, when I listed different kinds of advertising, I didn't talk about who's paying for those ads. Government is, in India, for example, uh, the government is one of the largest spenders uh, on advertising, especially in print, and I think maybe on TV as well. Um, and there's entire newspapers like the Financial Express that make a living just off ter those tender ads. Um, so, so in that sense, it's a big, it's a, it's a, some countries, U.S. There is no government advertising really, actually, so there's not an issue, but it's a really double-edged sword because the amount of power that the governments here, local governments, have on media by being able to pull the ads in a in a way that, uh, and I've seen it when I was at Mint HD, had some issues with the local government, and those kind of ads suddenly disappeared. So that's a delicate balancing act in terms of where your advertising is coming from and who's paying for it. And in a country where you import most of your newsprint um, and you have to depend on the government for advertising, they don't need to censor you. They can do lots of economic ways of like censoring you. So that's a bit of a dangerous kind of... In the US, the state of New Jersey just announced a $5 million fund to, to help create local community journalism. So there is like because they feel like that's disappearing from New Jersey. So those initiatives are also starting to happen, but there are a lot of people who are very worried about governments controlling media funding. And for, yeah, Anushri Praveen, the question was about, you know, attracting the best talent for alternative streams of revenue, like events, for example. Was that the question? To attract talent, which is non-journalistic talent in a media company, right? Uh, I think it, uh, both of us are sort of examples of that. Uh, we are both uh, MBAs and having done other things before uh, recently entering media. Uh, I think it, it's really just about are you doing interesting, innovative things. Uh, say if you're trying to hire for your technology team, uh, you pr have a very difficult uh, task uh, being competitive with Google, right? Would a technology uh, you know, professional want to work for Google or Apple or Scroll? Uh, it, it's difficult to make that conviction, uh, but uh, if you're doing interesting things, I think a lot of people come excited by your vision, right? So if, if your tech is like IT support, then you can't attract great talent. But if your tech is innovating, it has uh, it has some uh, ownership on what it's doing, uh, you will find those people. So I, I think that goes for everything, whether it's business or it's marketing or uh, any other function. <laughs> Uh, no, unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. I, it's safe to call to say that I'm an anarchist, and I have zero idea of money. But I do have um, some experience with taking on the establishment, and that brings this question about how I fund what I do. And uh, so I wanted to bring, um, the, you know, the connection. I wanted to ask you about the connection between advertising and the content you produce and choosing to walk away from some advertising or choosing to keep advertising and then altering your content because of the advertiser. And if you, and if you therefore limit yourself to advertising, you're limiting the boundaries that you need to cross to shake up an establishment, especially in an increasingly authoritarian regime that we're now under. And therefore, um, what I came across uh, and, and used effectively to fund something, but this is an, as an individual, and I'm wondering whether this can be moved outwards and I, I, I think also there's a problem with always wanting to scale things because then this, you go into, you, you enter that difficult terrain. But what if you don't want to scale things and you want to stay tribal 
and you want to take on the establishment, but you still need money, crowdfunding is the other thing. So the two elephants in the room, politics, being anarchist, and crowdfunding. Can I just add to that because my question was exactly the same. How healthy or unhealthy can crowdfunding be for a media organization, especially very small scale? Because there are people who are doing niche journalism, having very small, meaningful journalism websites or something. How healthy or unhealthy can be crowdfunding? So I think both of you have hit on the larger point, which is that oftentimes media companies get into trouble because of their ambition, right? That you, if you do X this year, you need to do 2X next year. And that's when I think we run into, and then the kind of funding that has backed that, I think is always a challenge. There's lots and lots of examples of people who've been running kind of niche media things, and they've been doing fine, as long as they're not getting, like, I want to be nationwide, and you know I want to have bureaus everywhere. So I think that's an important distinction to make, because anything can be sustainable depending on what your growth plans are. Crowdfunding, uh, obviously, especially with like you know technology enabling it, is starting to become fairly mainstream. There's a in Colorado, which is a state in the U in the U.S. where big the Denver Post and others are in real trouble. There's a new digital company called the Colorado Sun, which just like raised $160,000, and they were trying to raise only like 100,000, I think. So there is a there is kind of a, a momentum. The challenge sometimes is there's a lot of momentum for the initial launch, and then the operating issues become a bit more of a challenge. Going back to the same people, I think that's where then you have to do all the conventional things, right? You have to, you have to create a relationship, you have to do a value exchange, you have to make them feel like they're supporting a larger mission. I think The Wire is a good example in India of that's their thinking about how they would sustain it. ProPublica in the US, 10 years old this year, completely raising money from individuals. But even they are starting to have to sell some data. They have to start to do some things to supplement that. Because guilt will only go that far uh, in terms of constantly asking them to re-up. The public radio in the US does that very successfully every year. They run two big fundraising campaigns, NPR, and really kind of remind you how wonderful they are. And like really, for a week, they harangue you. And you pay it because you, otherwise, they'll continue to harangue you for more weeks. <laughs> I'll try to answer this question in just two things. Um, there is a part that is that you have reason to be optimistic about, and there is a part that you have to be pessimistic about. The pessimism comes, and this, again, outside this room. This is not the audience that I'm talking about. If you go to the audience where I was, which is more technology, engineering, MBA people, as Anushra and I probably have some commonality, there is a strong belief there that media has to be fierce, media has to be independent. And if I did a poll in a room at this size and I asked them, give me examples of media that you admire, the hands would, the names would come up, very familiar names, Caravan, The Wire, all these outlets that you believe. And then if you ask them, but what newspaper do you get at home, they would just say, okay, Times of India. All right. So there is a part of where you have to, people have to put their money where they actually put their beliefs. There's no problem with the beliefs, but there's a problem with the money. The part that you can be optimistic about is that the one difference now in this time from a technology standpoint that wasn't there before is that it's getting easier and easier to make payments. And the minute that starts to happen, um, and that will get easier, UPA 2.0, for instance, uh, does not have recurring payments, but that's like a very important thing if you want to do crowdfunding. That will happen probably somewhere down the line. So when those things start to happen, then yeah, then you probably will probably be in a much better shape. Hi, my name is Venkatesh, and I'm trying to put together, a, um, not trying to, I'm putting together um, a bunch of publishers and platforms. 
as a collaborative exercise to fight disinformation. So my question is really on whether is there any source of funding or revenue for any collaborative effort between organizations. And one way to sort of like think about it um, adjacent to that is that, you know, if you look at Vox Media Group, they're actually a bundle of offerings. They're not, uh, they're not bundling themselves. They have a variety of different brands that are essentially niche and vertical plays. So is there a possibility, let's say in India, where a scroll and a ken and the quint or the wire, they all get together and say, look, we're going to make money together by collaborating on some things. One example of that is uh, co-subscriptions. So there are publishers, uh, I don't think India has seen too many, but uh, you, huh, WSJ and I think, uh, yeah, Business Standard. So uh, you can sell co if you are uh, sort of uh, trying to make money from readers, you can definitely uh, do co-subscriptions that you sort of bundle it when you're selling it. There's also uh, some examples Raju probably would know better where it's a uh, sort of a single subscription you buy, but it gives you access to, is it Blendle? Or Blendle, right? Uh, which gives you, it's a single subscription, but it gives you access to maybe X number of stories from 15 publications. Uh, so I, I think those are examples. Uh, I don't have any other ideas. Uh, I'll just say very quickly, one thing that's definitely going to happen it's probably not going to happen now, but it's definitely going to happen. We are going to face subscription fatigue, for sure. Um, everybody's going to jump into subscriptions, partly based on what I said today. But they're just going to start doing it. And soon, a reader is not going to have more than two or three subscriptions. I mean, that's like the limit. Beyond that, it's not going to happen. So there is going to be a company that will emerge, that will basically do this thing that says, give me a platform fee, and you get access to A, B, C, D, E. But then the question is, then you, as somebody like a scroll or a can hypothetically then, you seed the reader again. It's the same thing as what happens in advertising. Now you seed the reader to someone else, and that person now controls the reader again. So it's an interesting challenge. Uh, I do not know how it's going to play out. But yes, it's definitely going to happen sometime very soon. On the first part of your question, I'm fairly skeptical of all these fact-checking things that are starting to kind of really mushroom simply because it feels like they're shifting the burden of fact-checking to me as the reader by saying, here are all the tools. And I'm like, I read 50 different things a day. I can't apply this tool to 50 different things at my end. I thought it was the job of the newsroom to get facts right, right? So I'm a little skeptical about that particular. But there are, look, in the US, for example, there is a, um, there's a thing called solutions journalism organization, which has like hundreds of like local publications. There's the independent news network, the Lion publishers. There's a whole bunch of like these non-competing, at least geographically. Um, and they're all based on some level of philanthropy to kick off. I think Indian philanthropy is still very fragile and still somewhat not developed in creating those institutions, but it'll come, right? I mean, it'll, the Premji effort is uh, like a little bit of a start. Rather than giving money to individuals, at some point, they'll say, we will give you a platform, and 10 of you can be part of the platform. I think that evolution will come. Uh, it unfortunately, is not coming fast enough, I think. So I apologize, because we're getting stern looks. We're done. Uh, five minutes succeeded. I'm on behalf of uh, Praveen, Anushree, and Raju offering them during lunch to answer all questions one-on-one. -on -one. I'm sure they'll smile through it and answer patiently. Thank you very much. Uh, been a pleasure. Thank you. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform.
Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.